Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 164. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to our guest, Sterling White. Sterling is an investor and business owner on a mission to make the world a better place through principled and efficient real estate investment. Before transitioning to multifamily, Sterling had been involved with the purchasing and selling of 100 plus single family properties. Today, his focus is on purchasing income producing multifamily properties while scaling his 300 plus unit portfolio across the nation through the company he co-founded, Hold Folio. Today, we're going to be discussing making the transition from single family homes to multifamily investing and how you can syndicate your very first apartment deal. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. All right, today, welcome on the show, Sterling White. Hey, Sterling, thanks so much for joining us. No, thank you. And I am ready here to bring the value. So audience, get ready. It's going to be, I'm taking you on for a ride. <laughs> All right, well, we are ready, absolutely. Sterling, before we jump too deep into it, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your experience in the world of real estate investing, and just tell the audience members a little bit about you. Yeah, so a little bit of uh, background on myself is, this is going to be a very quick rundown, is I've always had the entrepreneurship bug. Early elementary days, my actual first product was Kool-Aid, and then ah. second was uh, Pokemon cards. And then basically, that's how I got the whole business and structuring in terms of putting people underneath you that allows you to scale. And then fast forward, how I got into the real estate industry is I kind of just fell into it, universe. I was in college, my roommate was in construction construction and just tagged along. And ultimately, I knew I wanted to be in real estate, but I wanted to be more on the investing side. And that's when I found a mentor, started working for that person for free, and then transitioned to where I'm currently at, where I own just under 400 units. And that was all done in about three, three and a half years. Yeah, that's awesome. So you've kind of always had that entrepreneurial spirit starting out elementary school selling stuff. So I love that. Sounds like you kind of fell into real estate at a pretty early age. Lots of people out there kind of fall into it haphazardly or by happenstance, right? And it's never like their first and primary goal. So walk us through, you know, kind of your very first early days of investing, what those looked like for you, what you were doing and kind of what was going through your mind at the time. When I first started, I had no clue what I wanted to do. And well, I knew I wanted to do well, actually, I didn't. Or meaning I didn't know which model because there's buy and hold, there's fix and flip, there's wholesaling. So I just did them all. And the one that really I got a grasp on was the buy and hold. And that's where at the time, I would say my first deal was 23. I'm now 28. And through that, I found it was a single family residence. It was distressed. I didn't have any credit. I didn't have any cash. I actually negative cash because I over my account. So I had nothing. Uh, negative. <laughs> 
And but I did partner with my mentor who did have the cash and didn't have the time to find deals. So the way I structure that is instead of taking like a simple wholesale fee, I retain equity. So I thought more long term. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's a valuable lesson for people out there listening right now is you got started, you had no experience, you had no cash. So what's one to do? And partnering is a great way to really get that ball rolling. So tell us how that helped you kind of get your real estate investing journey started. And you know, what did that look like? It was tremendous in terms of, again, uh, many people thought I was crazy for working for someone for free, but I was able to compact their 20 plus years knowledge into the three years, two and a half, three years I worked with them. And so that helped me on my journey to the philosophies to use, how to do property management, how to manage contractors. So on that first deal, I was thrown into the fire on the side of I had to coordinate with the closing company, do the property management take all the income and calls. So just learning the whole process by being in the trenches. And you know, one of the benefits and powers of real estate is leverage. You know, you leverage money from other people, but also you leverage more than just capital from a lender. You're leveraging experience from a partner like this. Like you said, you're taking that partner's 20 or 30 years of experience, using a lot of his shortcuts and knowledge from along the years and just getting right to the details. So yeah, I love that. And I think it's a brilliant way for somebody starting out with no money, no experience to be able to get started. And it's a very viable model. So you kind of got started in the single family space, it sounds. That is correct. Yeah. So what did that look like? How long did you dabble in that single family space? Actually, I know you didn't dabble because you did over a hundred single family deals. So that's way beyond the uh, levels of dabbling. So tell <laughs> us what that looked like and uh, what were you doing there? Yes. Yeah, so it pretty much just snowballed from there. So I did some wholesaling. I also did some fix and flipping as well. But I would say a year and a half to two years after that first deal, and there was uh, multiple ones within that as well, that I really turned on the acquisition side on the single families and just along with uh, friends and family started purchasing anything we could get our hands on at that time in terms of on the single family side. And to date, own just close to about 150 of those at this moment. So yeah. still retaining it. Awesome. So eventually you kind of turned the corner and decided you were going to do multifamily. So what was the driving factor behind kind of transitioning to multifamily and deciding to leave that single family space behind? It was more of the economies of scale. So we had all of these 150 single families in Indianapolis, some in Dayton, Ohio. That sounds like a headache. <laughs> yeah, it is. And we have the infrastructure for that. And it's very management intensive. And then also on the transaction side is you're dealing with quite a bit of transactions with 150 single family homes. So we took a step back and we said, okay, well, multifamily makes sense from not only long-term wealth building, but also economies of scale. Because if you buy, we bought an 80 unit, we're able to have full-time staff on site. So we looked at all those parameters and then just decided to go all in on that focus. And so how did you make that transition? Like exactly what did you do to get that very first multifamily deal? Because that's a hard corner for a lot of people people to turn. Maybe they've got a few single families, maybe some duplexes, triplexes, etc. They want to, you know, go out and get that very first smaller apartment deal, maybe larger deal. What did that process look like for you? How did you kind of make that transaction like logistically? Yeah. So on that side, I learned everything I could about multifamily. I read blogs. I was on biggerpockets.com, which is a phenomenal free resource about others who have been there, done that, read tons of articles. And then also once we found a deal, which was off market, went, did driving for dollars, 
went direct to the owner. It was a 46-unit apartment. When we got it under contract, actually, before we got it under contract, we said, okay, this is what it's going to take in terms of renovations because we had that experience on the construction side. And we brought it to, I would say, three to four separate investors who were in our network that had larger portfolios of multifamily and said, hey, this is our business plan. What do you think? That really helped us mitigate our risk once we made that transition. Yeah, awesome. And then how did you purchase that? So you mentioned finding it off market, driving for dollars, direct mailing the uh, owner, I'm assuming. And then awesome, you get it under contract. So you're like, wow, what's next? 46 units under contract, the (laughs) clock starts ticking, you've got to raise money, you've got probably a little bit of a network built at this point. So what was the next step in that whole process? Yeah, so luckily, this individual was highly motivated. They had other apartment holdings. And well, they sold them all off. This was their last one. So Uh, we were actually able to... Yes, exactly. Great timing, I would say, too. And we were able to get seller financing. So total purchase price, full transparency was 900000 And then wow. we put down 200000 of our own cash just to put that down as uh, our down payment. And then we raised 685000 from our partners in the form of debt to take care of those renovations. Yeah, awesome. So you raised 685000 from investors on your very first deal. That is correct. Yeah, and then that seller financed the remainder of whatever that is. 700000 We put down 200000 of our own cash. Awesome. So how did you have the credibility to go out and raise that amount of money on your very first deal? So it was all the single family experience. So we had this network of providing these double digit returns to our partners. And also we were doing the fix and flip model. So we were providing them that cash. So we had that track record. And then when we made the transition to multifamily, it just, hey guys, we have the infrastructure here. It's a lot more difficult to manage 150 single family homes throughout these cities than it is one 46 unit in one location. Yeah, sure. And so what were some of the lessons learned from that very first property? Because I'm sure it didn't go completely smoothly. I'm sure there were some bumps in the road and some unexpected things in your business plan. (laughs) There always is. I would say the main one is taking a step all the way back is for everyone who is looking to get started in multifamily and also real estate overall, what's really helped for me is being self-aware of what you're good at, your strengths, and then also where you're weak at. It's tough to do. But once you figure that out, it's complementing people in those weaknesses and then going all in on your strengths. So my partner that I have with our company does the underwriting financials operations phenomenal in that and cleans up a lot of my mess that I make on the acquisitions with the tech <laughs> and then also marketing. So had to mention that. And then the lessons that were learned is you can never be too conservative because we underwrote the deal conservatively, but then there was the winter season that came around that push back the delay on construction. And then also permits push back a uh, delay too, which was something we did not foresee whatsoever. Yeah, sure. So when you're building your business plan, you think, hey, I'm going to have maybe 12 or 18 month renovations, but winter hits you and you've got issues with permits. And now that renovation model is 24, 36 months out Mm -hmm. impacting your long term cash flow. So yeah, that can really be a huge hindrance in one's business model. And if you're not able to account for those things, or at least be able to ride those things out, it can really be a big problem. Yeah, exactly. And then at one point, one of the boilers went out. So that was something additional thing that we just did not force 
foresee because there was the boiler. And then also when you're taking over, well, we still had this from our single family side, but when you're inheriting a property that's been mismanaged, you have to take into account there's going to be a drop in occupancy. That's what usually happens. So I would mention to your audience, always take that into consideration. Yeah. And maybe for the audience members that don't understand why there is a drop in occupancy, could you explain why that typically happens? Because what you'll experience is the previous residents are accustomed to maybe they can pay a month late or a couple weeks late. But when you come in there with professional management, hey, I'm giving you a 10 day notice that no, there's not going to be that stringing us along. And we're going to file the eviction at this specific point. A lot of those residents are not used to that. And then they decide to go move on. So that's one of the main drivers. Yeah, sure. So just getting in there, kind of cleaning house, operating it, you know, like a pretty tight ship. And then, of course, I'm sure, Sterling, you also have value add opportunities and business models you're implementing in these units. So you're probably going to go in and renovate some of these units, have some capital expenses, fix the place up. And that kind of tends to drop occupancy right off from the get go too. Exactly. They see some residents are a little bit nervous about all the changes that are going in. Some do like it. And once that, let's say the unit across from them is 150 more because we put that value into it that they may not be able to afford that. So it's, yeah, it's one of those unfortunate things that happens. Yeah, sure. So talking to the audience members listening in right now, Sterling, what kind of advice would you have to someone who's looking to kind of turn that corner and invest in multifamily, maybe do their first syndication? What kind of tips or advice would you have to that type of person? One is what really helped us is we built a software ourselves that helps streamline the investment process because there's a lot of moving parts associated with that. And then the second one is when you're getting to syndications, ensure that you have your ducks in line in terms of the regulations and you have an attorney on your side because when you're dealing with securities and accepting money from people, that gets pretty serious. Yeah, definitely so. And there are a lot of rules and regulations enforced by the Securities and Exchange Commission or the SEC, as most people have heard them referred to as. And yeah, like you say, when you're investing other people's money and taking people's money and investing it for them, there are a lot of rules and regulations you have to make sure you're following. And to be honest, there are rules and regulations that you and I probably don't best understand. So it's better to have somebody on your team, like an experienced real estate attorney to help you kind of navigate those waters. So kind of goes back to what you've been mentioning, having those partnerships. So if you think about that, that is in essence, a partnership with this real estate attorney, and you're leveraging their experience and all their years of studying law and practicing and passing the bar and you know, all those things, which you and I don't have that experience. (laughs) No, not at all. I don't want to. I'm glad I didn't go that route either. So your kind of overarching advice is, you know, to partner with the right people, surround yourself with a good team, kind of leverage from those other people's experience and doing that very first deal, because there's a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of moving parts, and it really is a team sport. Exactly. And also to work on your mindset, what really helped me for me is I grew up in the not so good parts of uh, Indianapolis. So the upbringing I had was in Section 8 housing. And I ultimately had to learn how to figure things out from that environment. And that's the entrepreneurship came to birth. So that also translates to real estate. You have an end goal. Ultimately, you have to just figure it out. And yeah, that's where that comes down to on that side. (laughs) Yeah, sure. So people out there, Sterling, are 
probably thinking, okay, I'd love to get into multifamily. I'd love to do a smaller apartment deal, but I don't have quite enough capital. I don't have enough credible experience for a bank to lend me personally money. What's one to do in that situation? Obviously, maybe partner with somebody, but are there any other kind of ideas in terms of gaining credibility in the industry or positioning yourself as somebody who's worthy of investing somebody else's money? What kind of tips or tricks would you have for somebody like that? Yeah. So one thing that you can do is you can, well, it really depends on that specific individual. But with that context is what I had did is I was able to leverage my previous mentors experience or me working within that property management company and the deals that we did do. So let's say they have over, they're managing over a thousand doors. You can leverage that experience to say, I worked within an organization that managed over a thousand doors versus, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, one. Round. I love yeah. to call that the power of we. So in a little scenario here, let's say you Sterling have 300 units that you own and I have zero and you and I are going to be partners. Now I say my partner and I have over 300 doors and look at that. Voila, we have experience. Exactly. Right? So that's the power of we. And you know, it's not as fraudy as it sounds. I mean, you really are leveraging the experience of your partner and you're able to call on them, even be financially involved with them in the deal. So yeah, I love that. And I think it's a great advice for people listening in who might be in that position. That's my recommendation. Or I wouldn't want to tell someone to start small. I would say go big. But if you're comfortable with small and that allows you to get the traction and also confidence to allow you to start getting bigger. Yeah, sure. So let's kind of talk about finding your very first multifamily deal. So you mentioned you found your very first deal off market driving for dollars. I'm sure you didn't just buy the very first property you saw. I'm sure there's a lot of long nights and long weekends trying to find deals, searching the web, searching county records, all kinds of things. So what are some good ways for people to find their very first multifamily deal? So all of our deals have been off market, and that is 249 units comprised of uh, four separate properties. That is, we our primary contact is cold call. So we skip trace to find the owners of these specific assets. We Our initial contact is cold call, and then we implement other channels to follow up. Let's say the person's not interested first time around, but you see that it's an asset that's distressing, they're running into the ground, then that's where you implement direct mail, personal visits. I mean, just any type of channel to get creative in your follow-up and just not try and pound the phone. Yeah. Okay. So you're first identifying a particular asset you'd like to acquire. So you're saying, hey, there's that 48 unit over in my home market on this street that I love or in the area that I really like fits kind of our investment criteria. I'm going to find who that owner is. I'm going to reach out to him, contact them, however I can reach them, let them know I'm interested. And so you're kind of doing a very direct targeted approach, whereas instead, you know, just sending a piece of mail to every multifamily owner in your whole county, right? Exactly. So we'll do apartment complexes in Indianapolis, Indiana, and neighborhoods that are I actually look at rents too, but we'll say 50 to 150 units that are managed by or in distress condition that are older built assets. And then from there, that's when we'll pull all that list and we'll filter out all of the larger companies that own those and only go for the mom and pop. Yeah, I love this. And something I'd like to dig in here and kind of point out is you've got some particular criteria you're using to filter. And this kind of goes back to earlier when we were talking in the show, when you first got started out, there are many ways to do real estate, right? Wholesaling, fix and flip, buy and hold, the list goes on and on. You said you were trying to do them all, right? That probably didn't pan out so well until you started no, it. <laughs> down and narrow down and narrow down. Eventually, you know, have landed on buy and hold multifamily property. So that's your niche. And then even further, you're still narrowing down 
on kind of nailing down your investment criteria. So yeah, I love that. You're not going to end up analyzing mobile home parks in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's not your niche, right? So you're not going to waste your time there. And you're not going to be looking at raw land in South Texas or multifamily deals in Houston. So you've really kind of narrowed down your investment criteria and that helps you kind of focus and it's kind of in a directed path. Yeah, it comes down to the 80-20 principle is focus 80% of your efforts on these 20% of assets that meet your criteria. Because a lot of the times you just have to be persistent and stay top of uh, mind. But if you have the whole shotgun approach, that's very difficult to do. I mean, some people probably can manage that. But if you're very targeted, that allows you to be that much resources on those specific assets. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So and I love that you mentioned that I want to bring that up. And I know you're a really big mindset guy. So we've been kind of talking about the technical nuts and bolts of how'd you find your deal? How'd you build your team? You know, what'd you do business plans, but kind of overall, you know, talk about that mindset, what's your plan? And what's your mindset going into these multifamily deals? The overarching thought is even though you're buying, you're still selling. That's the big picture overarching thought. Yeah, I love that. So kind of unpack that for us and tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, so you have to sell the seller why you would be a good fit for them to sell the property to you. Yeah, definitely so. In many cases, you are putting in a competing offer and you have to sell the seller on yourself as a credible buyer, as a credible operator, right? So you're always selling something. Yeah, and ultimately you can put this on the market, but by going off market, we'll get this done in a quickly time. You don't have to worry about, because some of these mom and pop owners are hesitant about listing their property on the open market because everyone can see and they're worried about people coming around and uh, disturbing the tenants. So those are things that you can leverage in your selling process. Yeah, I love that. And that's what kind of pretty much the overarching takeaway I got out of our buddy. I'll say buddy, like we brush shoulders with them, but Grant Cardone's book, Sell or Be Sold, right? Sell or so, Be Sold. <laughs> yeah, I know you're a big Grant Cardone fan. And uh, you know, when I read that book, kind of the premise was everybody is in sales. You're selling yourself to everybody every day. So whether you think or not, think you are or not, you ultimately are in sales. And as a real estate investor, that's only so much more true. Yeah, it's in business. It's in life. Let's say your daughter doesn't, well, my daughter was want to go to gymnastics practice. I have to sell her on why that's beneficial and it's going to allow you to be better at that specific craft. I have to sell or she sells me on, okay, I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, sure. So, you know, what's kind of in the future of Holdfolio and your investment company there? And, you know, what does the future hold for you guys? What are your goals and, you know, what are you trying to do there? Yeah. So just myself, take it one year at a time. And the the primary focus for just next year is to acquire 500 multifamily units and bring those online. Man, I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're more than doubling your size as your goal in next year. And uh, I'm sure you've kind of got the systems and the processes in place. And more importantly, you've got that mindset already set. So yeah, I love that. Now, you mentioned earlier in the show, let's just talk briefly about this technology piece that you said you implemented. So I know you and your partner, Jacob, pretty mm-hmm. good name there, Education uh, <laughs> Pro. So tell us exactly what that is and how it's helped you invest in your own portfolio. Yeah, so Syndication Pro and in a nutshell, just allows a syndicator or someone who raises capital to streamline the entire process, saving up to 50% during the course of that, and also creating a whole investor experience to where they manage their investors and facilitate that process. Yeah. Okay. So what exactly does that mean? It sounds great and sounds like a bunch of fancy words, but what exactly does it do? 
So for us, how we leverage it is once we have an investment opportunity, we put that on our website and then we email out to all of our investors. Our investors can go to that specific investment on that webpage, hit the invest now button, complete the whole process on there, uh, sign the PPM subscription agreement. And through that, they can also send their funds via ACH into our, our account. That way they're fully invested. And then the second half is once they want to view how that investment is doing, they have their own dashboard. Yeah, really cool. So that kind of helps in the acquisition phase of raising money and actually, you know, getting those funds wired over to whoever that may be, your escrow agent or whoever that is. Mm -hmm. And then it sounds like there's kind of like a management piece of ongoing for the deal where they're able to log in and see how the investment's going, check, you know, what distributions have maybe already been made or maybe expected, things like that. So yeah, it makes your job as a real estate syndicator, apartment deal syndicator that much easier, it sounds. Yeah, because before that, it's we would use a service here, MailChimp, and then we would use Zoho here for CRM. We just thought, how do we centralize all this in one place? That way we're not just being inefficient. That's what it just comes down to in terms of structure, which ultimately allows you to focus more on deals because you're not doing the operations back office. Yeah, awesome. Just another one of those ways we talk about leverage, right? Leveraging systems, leveraging processes, leveraging people, leveraging capital. That's what it's all about. So you found a way to once again, provide some leverage in your own business. And it sounds like it's working out really well for you. Technology is huge nowadays with what can be done with it. Yeah, it's interesting. And that's something I try to think about pretty often. I'm just not a very creative guy, but I always kind of think about, okay, how is technology going to disrupt the real estate industry in the years to come? And it's hard for me to imagine what it'll be like, but I know it will be certainly different. Yeah. And you'll be like, oh, that makes sense why that was disrupted. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of interesting ideas and concepts you read about out there about emerging technologies and how it will disrupt real estate. I guess one interesting thing that we've seen to date is Airbnb, right? That's like, like a huge thing in our market and maybe 10 or 15 years ago it would have sounded crazy that people are going to rent out their homes or bedrooms in their homes and Airbnb is now let's call them the largest real estate company in the world but they yeah. have no real estate right so <laughs> What an unfathomable idea. And at some point, there may be a possibility where there's not, I may get some flack for this, real estate agents to where there could be a directory and people, of course, would have to adopt that to where someone lists their home for sale and then you have someone who's interested in buying and there's no agent that's involved. Of course, there's some paperwork, but there's probably a way to streamline that whole process. Yeah, I think there's certainly people trying to disrupt that industry as we Exactly, yes. Whether they're successful or not, we'll see. But uh, yeah, interesting stuff. So well, Sterling, it's been real fun talking with you and just kind of sharing your journey and, you know, talking about multifamily and mindset and all that good stuff. So as we're wrapping up here, we've got a lightning round, just a series of questions we ask every one of our guests. Are you up for it? Oh, yeah, let's roll. All right. Awesome. Well, the first question in the lightning round is what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what did you do to overcome that? I think it was my fear of failure was the biggest one. The way I overcame that was I did a huge challenge. I actually haven't shared this with anyone just yet, but maybe one person, two people. But it was I attempted a Guinness World Record, which went public in terms of uh, people from the city of Indianapolis visiting that it was an absolute failure. And (laughs) it was the world's fastest fireman carry for a mile. And I made it two laps and dropped the person. But once that happened, it was I thought to myself, this isn't so bad. And then that was I don't know if that was a light bulb or. Yeah, it's interesting. 
I love that. Just recently, this previous episode and on the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast called Friday Fundamentals, do a little short segment, right? And we talked about how to fail and failing forward, failing fast, failing frequently. So you're out there just kind of pushing those limits and thinking like, okay, well, hey, I failed this, but it wasn't so bad. Here I am still alive today to tell the story. So exactly. Yes. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> really cool. Well, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Training in sales every day has helped me tremendously. Okay. How do you do that? What are some uh, platforms you use or what are you training? I read books on sales and it's more of like new, newer age selling techniques, not the old NLP, all that stuff. Also not an affiliate at all, but of course, Grant, he's got Cardinal Universal. So I'm in that. And that's been tremendous in terms of the value and just the whole sales processes, how to sell and that's been great. Awesome. Well, do you have an online resource that you find valuable in your day to day? Something that you use maybe on a daily basis that you find valuable and whether your business or personal life or whatever? Not so much. I like to use, no, I don't, I don't really have anything that I use like on a daily besides that training that I mentioned to you. Yeah. Okay. Well, that could easily be one, right? So yeah. <laughs> awesome. So is that a Cardone University? That is. Yeah. Right. Okay. Awesome. Well, Sterling, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? This would be a audio book and this would be from ages ago, maybe 1980s, 1990s or so, but it's Earl Nightingale, Lead the Field. And Lead some, this is, yeah, this was actually before my time. So I know it's before your audience this time. <laughs> maybe for some of them. <laughs> but Lead the Field is, he was the Dean of Self-Development. He was right around the time, the Zig Ziglar's, et cetera. But that really helped me in shaping my mindset, like being goal oriented, not necessarily structuring business. It was all just like my Mindset. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I think that's a very important topic, especially for people getting started out. Is start with that mindset, you know, build it, and just kind of have that fundamental basis to grow on from there. I think is really important. So, yeah, we'll link that book in the show notes if our audience members want to check that out. Last question, Sterling. If you were to give advice to your 20 year old self, although not too long ago, to get started <laughs> investing in real estate, what would that be? Find a mentor to work with and work for him for free. Simple as that. Yeah, I love it. You know, you say that and I've actually done that in my own investing journey. And yeah, it, it pays dividends and dividends that you really can't count. Yeah, I mean, I went to college and I ended up dropping out, but still got some debt from that. And that debt that I had from that earned no particular value. So I would say what I earned in terms of, I would have probably paid a million dollars or a large amount of cash for what I learned from that individual in that experience. Yeah, I love it. Well, Sterling, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you on the show, having you on. I look forward to having you back on in the future. As we're wrapping up here, is there any parting piece of advice you'd like to leave with the audience members? Any questions I should have asked you that didn't just kind of any kind of final thoughts yeah for those of you who are having difficulties getting started let's say you're afraid to or uh, hesitant about making cold calls to someone or you just ultimately and this is going really spiritual that we only have so much time on this earth and one thing that's been a driver for me is I don't want to be at the end let's say on my deathbed reflecting and say damn Sterling you should have you could have went a little bit more harder you should have made those phone calls you should have figured out okay okay, get someone in there in your weakness. So that's my parting ways thought. Yeah, I love it. So powerful. Well, Sterling, hey, I'm sure a lot of people want to reach out to you, connect 
with you, learn more about you. If they do, where's the best place they can uh, do all those things? Yeah, so you can reach me at syndicationpro.co, not .com, .co. And also, if you have a bigger pockets account, which is completely free, you can slide into the DM on there and uh, message me. I'm more than be of value. I love it. Yeah, and you're super active there on bigger pockets. So we'll link your bigger pockets profile in the show notes. Sterling, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Likewise. Thanks. Take care. up this week's episode with our guest Sterling White. Well, hey, I hope you're getting value from this show. If you like what you've heard, please go over and leave a rating and review on whichever platform you're listening on. For more information, resources to connect with me, you can visit www.jacobayers.com forward slash contact. Feel free to reach out with any questions, comments, just to say hi, or if you have any questions about your own investing opportunities or deals or anything of that nature. I love talking with you. I love hearing from you. So please don't be a stranger. Come over to the website, say hi. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom LLC exclusively.